This morning, we're going to continue in our series on profiles in courage. And if you remember, last week, we did the first part of David and Goliath. So this is going to be David and Goliath, part two. If you remember, I spoke to you about being encouraged by seeing the courage of others. That God wants us to be encouraged by seeing the courage of others. So let's give a little bit of a recap. Remember last week was kind of the prequel to the main attraction. If we're using movie terms here, this is the best way to do it. I know there's people that came to me after the sermon last week and they're like, yeah, it was like a movie. It was great. And I said, well, that was the prequel. This is the main attraction. We watched the events of King Saul unfold. He was the appointed king of Israel. He's the first king appointed to Israel. He was not what God wanted for the people, but he was what the people demanded. Remember this? God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint Saul as king. What was so special? Saul had lost his donkeys. Remember Saul lost his donkeys? In that day, you'd go to a prophet to find anything that was lost. He happened to go to the premier prophet in the land, and the prophet said to him, this is Samuel, I found your donkeys, and by the way, you are now the king. What a way to find your donkeys. Amen? See, I, I need you to say amen back. <laughs> I get, see, I get, I get, we were, we were hearing this the other day. Uh, when we were listening to uh, Crash the Chatterbox, that even you know when I'm preaching, I'm hearing voices in my head saying, are they connecting with it? When, when you reflect back what I'm saying, it lets me know that you're getting it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, Saul is made the king. God commands King Saul to destroy the Amalekites. We talked about this last week. And instead, Saul kept the Amalekite king. How many remember what the king's name was? Agag. What a cool name. We're going to talk about some other cool names today. Uh, he kept him alive as, as a trophy, as well as the best of the animals. So he deliberately disobeyed God. He deliberately went against the word of the Lord. And the prophet's words to him are swift. Samuel's words to Saul are swift. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being the king. The prophet then finishes the work the Lord commanded by, as the Bible describes it, taking King Agag and hacking him to pieces before the Lord. <laughs> Cindy, oh yeah. <laughs> that was someone's favorite part right there. Hacked Agag to pieces, finishing the work the Lord commanded. He then leaves Saul and he is in mourning. He's in mourning. This is Saul. This, is, this was supposed to be the guy. Remember, the most handsome man in the land. So full of potential. So full of promise. And yet he didn't do what the Lord had commanded him. The very last scene last week was the teaser of what was to come. If you'll remember, it was in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. And it says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. This is where we now pick up. A king among his sons. God has commanded Samuel to go, for God has provided a new king. 
But we first see Samuel's response, and Samuel's response is one of fear. In fact, he says this. Go to the next slide. He says, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Why does Samuel respond this way to God? I mean, God has already rejected Saul as king, so what's the big deal? Well, in order to understand what the big deal is, uh, we have to understand that even though God had rejected Saul as king, he would remain king until his death. He would remain king until his death. It was only at his death that another king would be appointed. In essence, when God rejected Saul's kingship, it didn't remove him from the throne, but it did, as we'll soon see, remove the blessing and the protection that was on the kingdom. It didn't remove him from the throne. In fact, it's still about another 25 years before he'll actually die and David will take over. But during that time, both blessing and protection are removed. God rejected his kingship, removed the blessing and protection. You see, he's no longer qualified, but he was appointed. And this is the interesting thing. This is one interesting thing to note. He was still the Lord's anointed. The Lord had still, Samuel had still anointed him by, by Samuel's command. Samuel had still anointed Saul by God's command. He was still anointed. In fact, years later, there's a guy who kills King Saul. There's a guy who kills King Saul, and he goes to David to tell him what he'd done. And the guy comes to David, and David says, Tommy, what happened? And he says, I killed King Saul. And David ordered the man executed because he came against the Lord's anointed. That God had removed him, his kingship, but he was still anointed and he was still appointed. You see, he was no longer qualified to be appointed to the kingdom, but he was still anointed to be there. There are some times where you're anointed for something, but God hasn't appointed it to you yet. And there are some times where somebody is appointed to something and anointed for something, but they fall in sin. And so God takes away the appointment, but it doesn't take away the anointing. You'll see people who... Uh, still move in God's works and God's grace, but they're living in sin. And you say, well, how does that work? And the Bible says very clearly that those people will go up to heaven and they'll say, say, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do that in your name and do this in your name? And the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Even though they did all these works. It's not about that. One commentary says this. Remember, David, David refused to reach out and destroy Saul. David refuses to ever, in the 25 years, he refuses to ever reach out and destroy Saul. One commentary says this, Despite many opportunities to legitimately defend himself, David refuses to kill Saul. David knew that since God put Saul on the throne, it was God's job to end his reign. And woe to the one who put forth his hand to destroy a God-appointed leader. Woe to the one who puts forth his hand to destroy a God-appointed leader. So we see that Samuel had somewhat of a good reason to be concerned. When he says the words, how can I go? Saul hears it, he will kill me. Saul was still the king. He had the power to kill him if he saw fit. But God had a plan. 
Go to the next slide. But the Lord said this. Take a heifer with you. What's a heifer? Thank you. <laughs> Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? God had a plan. It was customary for the prophets of that day to make sacrifices to God. And in Samuel doing that, there weren't likely any suspicions raised. However, when he goes to Bethlehem, the Bethlehemites, they approach him. The elders of the city, they come and approach him with fear. Why? Because the prophet had come to town. The prophet had come to town. Their first thought probably wasn't he's here to bless us. Their first thought is probably, "Uh uh-oh, there's judgment coming. Their first thought is, what did we do wrong? There's fear. One One commentary says that their trembling was caused by their guilt. That they hadn't been serving the Lord as they should have been. So there was fear. They go and approach him. They were fearing God's judgment. Do you come peaceably? And he says this. Go to the next slide. And he said, peaceably. Relax, is what he's saying. I've come peaceably. I'm not here to bring judgment upon you. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel assures them that he's not there for judgment, tells them the truth of why he is there, but he doesn't tell them the whole truth. He tells them the truth, but he doesn't tell them the whole truth. Samuel knew that the sacrifice, in part, was a cover that God had provided. It was a cover to anoint one of Jesse's sons. The the issue is, they simply didn't need to know that. They simply didn't need to know that. All they needed to know was that he came there for a sacrifice. The rest of what God spoke to him was his business. The rest of what God spoke to him wasn't their business. He told them the truth that God had spoken to him, but not all of it. This is a bit of a rabbit trail. I want to go off into a rabbit trail for just a minute. And in fact, in my notes, it says rabbit trail. Sometimes God shares things just for you. Amen? There's sometimes God shares things just for you. And I had to learn this really early on. I really did. Because sometimes God speaks up to you and you just want to share it with everybody. But sometimes what God speaks to you isn't for them. It's for you. God wants to speak to you. It's something I had to learn early on and honestly it's something I still fail in sometimes. Even as a minister, there's times where I'm like, man, this is a word. I'm excited to preach it. And I'll preach it, and I get dead faces. <laughs> Everybody's like, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. And really, because sometimes I know it was a message for me. Sometimes I know that I get excited about it. I'm like, wow, this is great. This is awesome. And God says, it wasn't for them. It was for you. There's times where I still mess up. But you don't need to tell everybody everything that God has laid on your heart all the time. Why? It's not for them. It's for you. In fact, I like this. This is what God spoke to me. That when you share it with them, they won't get it like you got it, and they will look at you like you've lost it. 
when you share it with them, they won't get it like you got it. And when they look at you, they look at you like you've lost it. Well, Pastor David, why don't they get it? Because it hasn't been released to them yet. Why don't they get it? Because it hasn't been released to them yet. Because they're not ready for it yet. Just hold on to it. And wait for the Lord's direction. We don't have to share everything that God gives us. Sometimes God wants to give it to us just for us. Amen? God wants to minister just to us. And that is the end of the rabbit trail. In fact, in my notes it says, end of rabbit trail. (laughs) God spoke to Samuel. God speaks to Samuel and gives him step-by-step instructions on what to do. I mean, step-by-step. Don't you wish sometimes that God would just give us step-by-step directions? Man, God, just, just, just tell me exactly what to do. That's why they call it faith. There's sometimes where God gives you step-by-step directions. Amen? But there's other times where God says, no, I want you to go here and then wait for my directions. No, I want you to go to this place and just wait to hear from me. Have faith that I will respond. God wants us to have faith. But Samuel gets step-by-step directions. They are now at the sacrifice. Jesse and his sons, it says that they were consecrated. What does that mean? It simply means that they were set apart. Simply that they were set apart. It indicates that at some point, Samuel said to them, I want to set you apart. I want to be alone with you. And then he says this. They're at the sacrifice. We go to verse 6. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. Now, who is Eliab? Eliab is one of David's oldest brothers. In fact, he's the oldest brother. He's Jesse's oldest son. And Eliab, and he says this, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me, is what he's saying. Let me just put it in in today's vernacular. Eliab must have been a cool-looking dude. Eliab must have been physical. He must have been an athlete. He probably was a handsome guy, probably head and and tails above his brothers. Eliab had to be a cool-looking dude. And I'm secure with myself. He had to be a good-looking man. Come on. Steve, have you ever seen a good-looking man? No? (laughs) Doug, have you ever seen a good-looking man? Your brother's a cool man, man. You don't think your brother's good-looking? Mike, he doesn't think you're good-looking, man. Eliab had to be strong. He must have been handsome. He must have stood head and tails. And he says this, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Surely this must be the guy. I mean, look at Saul. Saul was the most handsome man, had the most promise. Had, I mean, he was the dude. And so Eliab comes and stands in front of him and he says, you know, where's Bryce? Bryce, come here. Bryce, come here. I'm, actually, I'm going to need more than that. I, I'm going to need, like, Kobe, come on up. Jonathan, come on up. Let's see, who, who's left? Come on. Jim Ryan, you come stand right here. This would be good. Who's Eliab? Who's Eliab in this picture? See, now his son, his, his parents are going to say, it's him. And his dad is going to say, well, this must be Eliab. And then his parents are going to say, well, this must be, no. So let's say it this way. 
He looks and says, Eliab, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical nature, for I have refused him. <laughs> I have refused him. Eliab, go have a seat. Thank you. <laughs> for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen? Amen. So then Jesse called Abinadab. Abinadab, how you doing? Good. All right. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Go have a seat. <laughs> then Jesse made Shammah. Hi, Shammah, how you doing? Great. Shammah, I like that. <laughs> Shammah, how you doing? And he made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Go have a seat. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass by before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. But Jesse didn't have seven sons. Jesse had eight. Go next slide. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is. Keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Come on in. Now he was ruddy. What does ruddy mean? Anybody know what that means? It means red faced and healthy looking. Red faced, yeah, okay, and healthy looking, with bright eyes and good looking. God bless you, man. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Arise and anoint him. So Samuel, now I didn't bring any Crisco with me this morning. I didn't bring a horn of oil. But he would take the horn of oil and pour it all over his head. And it would drip down as the oil covered him so that the anointing covered him. As the oil covered him, so did the Spirit of the Lord cover him. As the oil covered him, people thought, oh, it, it, I mean, you know oil. It doesn't just get in a little part. It gets in every little nook and cranny. Right? It gets, I mean, it's going to drip down. You try to rub it off. You try to take it off. And it's just going to get, bleh, right? That's what oil does. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Rama. Thank you, David. Have a seat. Give him a hand. So David arose and went to Rama. Here he is, anointed by God, ruddy and good looking. He will be the victorious king someday. A mighty warrior, a powerful worshiper. In fact, through generations, this boy, this king, this man who, who, is, who is anointed for it, but not yet appointed to it, through generations will come Christ Jesus. It is through him that the lineage begins for our Savior. Amen? Right now, though, he's just a shepherd boy. 
Right now, though, he's just a shepherd boy. He's just, he, he, he takes care of some sheep once in a while. It said this, that Saul was what the people wanted, and David was what God wanted. Because he was a man after God's own heart. But it's going to take some time to get there. He's the youngest of Jesse's sons, and we're just at the beginning of the journey to the throne. This journey starts with two events. Two events that set the groundwork for his ascension to the throne. I want to look at the, take a look at the two events this morning. It says in verse 14, and it moves, this is the first event I want to speak about. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants, who are before you, to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. Before we move forward, I want to address something in the scripture so that there's no confusion. It says, a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. What does that mean exactly? I want to break this down for you. If God is all good, which he is, then why did he send a distressing spirit from the Lord? What does that mean? Well, it means this. Uh, it has to do with the language that's being used here. In the language being used, you know, we, we should know that actively, God never initiates or performs evil. God does not initiate or perform evil. He is the father of lights, for whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning, according to James. Passively, though, God may withdraw his hand of protection, and in doing so, the enemy is allowed to get in. That God has, keep in mind, but the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. That divine blessing, that divine protection, why? Because Saul went against the word of the Lord. I think that we have to get this. In the modern church, in the modern age, that when we go against the commandments of God, at times the blessing of the Lord is raised from us and allows the evil to come in. And this is what happens here. That God had lifted his hand. It's indicated that God didn't send it but he divinely allowed it to distress him. If this was today, one commentary says that Saul would probably be diagnosed as mentally ill. Yet his problem was spiritual in nature, not mental or psychological. The historian Josephus says this, when speaking of Saul and what would happen to him when he would become distressed, he says this, he grew, he grew fretful, he grew peevish, discontented, timorous, and suspicious. He ever started and trembling. He was sometimes as if he had been choked or strangled and a perfect demoniac by fits. This made him unfit for business, precipitate to his counsels, the contempt of his enemies, and a burden to all those around him. And it wasn't mental or psychological, it was spiritual. This is what the house of Saul was dealing with. And it's because of this that Saul comes to know David. Go to the next scripture. 
So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war. He's prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. I do not think he was talking about Eliad. Right, Bryce? Not talking about you, buddy. Not talking about Abinadab. Where you at, Abinadab? He's not talking about Shama. I like that name. He's talking about David. Go to the next slide. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. I love this. And he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. What is that? What is an armor bearer? Anybody, uh, some people may know what an armor bearer is. An armor bearer in the modern sense, in the modern church, would be uh, someone who would take care of the things the pastor needs taken care of. Or even some of the things he doesn't need taken care of. I'm... (laughs) There's a, a, a my pastor. He was walking along when I was growing up. He was walking along. He had his Bible with him. And now we carry our Bibles and, and iPads. But he had his Bible with him, and a young man came up and said, "Can I carry your Bible for you?" So, well, no, I can carry my own Bible. Thanks very much. The young man said, "Are you sure? I would love to carry your Bible for you." And the pastor said, "Well, you know, I." I'm capable. I mean, I can lift it on my own. I can carry it on my own. But for the young man, it was a, it was a thing of honor. It was a thing of honor for the, the pastor to go turn and say, you know, if, if I can get a glass of water, that'd be great. And the young man go, go get it. It was, it was a matter of honor. It was a matter of serving. It was a matter of establishing the heart of a servant. He was basically Saul's right-hand man. David was Saul's right-hand man. I love that it says, and he loved him greatly. Loved him greatly. Let me get back to where I'm at here. Loved him greatly. Then Saul said to Jesse, saying this, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well. And the distressing spirit would depart from him. I think it's safe to say that at this point in the relationship, there's no animosity between David and Saul. There's no animosity. In fact, David has found favor in his sight. In in David's response to Saul was that he loved him greatly. He wanted to honor him as the armor bearer. He was the main guy. When the spirit's distressed Saul, David was there with the anointing that God had put on his life to play the harp and the evil spirits departed. The the worship, I love this, the worship literally pushed away the evil spirits. The anointing on the worship literally pushed away the evil spirits. That's why I say, you want to get rid of a funk? You want to get rid of distraction? Start worshiping God. It's really hard to be focused on your problems when you're focused on the problem solver. Amen? Amen? 
It's really hard to be focused on all the distractions around you when you're focused on him. If we want to get away from that, we start to worship him. So here we start to see a little bit more into David's life. At this point, we start to see he spends his time going between serving King Saul and serving his father and his sheep. He's serving as a shepherd. This is the first event. He starts to play, and, and basically the evil spirits leave as he plays the harp. This is his foundation with Saul. And then it leads to the second event. We talked about the first event, now let's talk about the second event. This is the event that most people are familiar with. David and Goliath. This is, by far, the most incredibly defining moment in David's life. It is the defining moment. One commentator says this, in the court, he was famous for being Saul's physician. He's referred to as a physician because when Saul would get distressed, he would play the harp and he would become well. So he's referred to as Saul's physician. In the court, he was famous for, famous for being Saul's physician, but he was only known for being in the court, in the camp, on the battlefield, is when he becomes Israel's champion. On the, in the courts, that's fine. He's known among the court, that's great. But in the camp, he becomes the nation's champion. And by both, they not only mark him a great man, but they fit him for the throne for which he was designed. They fit him for the throne for which he was designed. This is the account of David and Goliath. How many, by raise of hands, how many know the story of David and Goliath? Most people, right? Most people would know the story of David and Goliath. It's a children's Bible story that is told to us from very young. Let's talk about Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. Who were the Philistines? The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. And during this time, they were warring. They weren't always warring, but during this time, they were warring. Israel was on one mountain. The Philistines were on another mountain. And in between them was a valley. How many of you have ever heard of the Valley of Elah? This is where the Israelites were staying. They're on one mountain. The Philistines are on another mountain. There's a valley between them. Goliath was, according to Scripture, a monstrous height. I mean monstrous. It says, in fact, I like what it says here. Uh, some estimates put him just over 11 feet tall. Some estimates put him just over 11 feet tall. It talks about cubits and spans and all sorts of different stuff in Scripture, but there, and there's different interpretations on what that means. And so they'll say either 9 feet tall or 11 feet 4 inches is what I got. 11 feet 4. I'm 6'5", 6'4"-ish, 6'5"-ish. I like to say 6'5 when I you know, talk to my wife. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I seem taller than I am. Uh, <laughs> 6'5", 11 feet 4 inches. And if, if his height and weight was proportional, this was a big dude. Have you ever seen a dude 11 feet 4 inches? Have you ever seen a guy 7 feet tall? Yeah, who? Have you ever seen a guy 8 feet tall? I once saw a man 8 feet tall. He was, he had a, a 
Uh, I, I was with him in high school, and uh, he didn't play basketball, so don't ask. Uh, he had like a, um, he had uh, some sort of disease where his body grew uh, longer than he was supposed to, and he couldn't uh, he couldn't hold himself up. He was in a wheelchair all the time. He was a great guy, and he used to say, "Man, I wish I could play basketball." But I mean, he was I mean, he was massively tall. He didn't live for very long. He had a great spirit about him when he was alive, but he was a very tall guy. 11 feet, 4 inches. I can't even think of it. When he boasts, he, he says this. He goes and he says, I am a Philistine. He goes out into the valley. Goliath goes into this valley. You have the armies of Israel here. You have the armies of the Philistines here. Goliath goes out and says, I'm a Philistine, and you are the servants of Saul. He says this for various reasons, but one is because he's a chief ruler and he just looks at these people as slaves. I'm a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul. He's he's throwing down the gauntlet. He was being condescending. He goes out to the valley for 40 days. 40 days he goes out in this valley at night and in the morning. He goes out And he challenges them. He says this, send one man to beat me. Just one. Send one man to beat me. And of course, in all of Saul's army, not one person would even attempt the challenge. Among Saul's army are three brothers. Shall we go over them again? We have Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. I like to say Shammah. David himself was with his father. He was caring for a sheep at the time. He was caring for a sheep. He's caring for a sheep. His father called him one day and said, go bring your brother some food. And by the way, see how they're doing. Just make sure they're doing okay. Bring them some food. So David goes. He arrives at the battlefront. And he starts hearing the men talk of what the king would give the man who would kill Goliath. What would the king give the man? And they talked about the riches that they would give him. And David asks what he's speak, what they're speaking about. What are, they, what are you speaking about? He's not concerned about what the king is going to give the man. He's concerned about what the Philistine is saying to the armies of Israel. Here's what he says. I love this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this who is this giant who is out of covenant with God that he should speak against the armies of God? That's what he's saying. When he says who is this uncircumcised Philistine, what he's saying is this man is not in covenant with God the same way we are. Amen. We are in covenant with God. This man is not in covenant with God, so why is he speaking against the armies of the Lord? David is getting upset about this. He's angry. Nobody is doing anything about this challenger who stands in the face of God and spits. Nobody is doing anything about this man who doesn't share in the covenant that he does with the Almighty God. His brother Eliab sees him. He sees him hearing what the men are saying. He hears him speaking to the men. And Eliab goes to him like the big brother. 
He goes to him and he's probably a little jealous. He had seen David become anointed as king over himself, by the way. He was considered the most handsome, right, Bryce? <laughs> Eliab. Eliab probably had a little more jealousy. But David answers him. Eliab goes to him and says, David, just go home. In fact, he makes fun of him. He says, aren't you supposed to be watching some sheep in the woods right now? It's the older brother. I'm going to have an older brother. I got two of them. <laughs> but I was the older brother to four. No, I'm sorry. I was the older brother to five. How many would want me as an older brother? No. Doug. Doug's like, yeah, right. I'd beat you up, man. Oh, that's funny. All right. David says this. Eliab comes to him, goes after him, says, why don't you just go home? He looks at Eliab and says, Eliab, what have I done now? What have I done now? Is there not a cause? David makes it clear. He's there for a reason. He's there for a purpose. You say, Pastor David, you're not going by scripture, by scripture, by scripture. No, this is a paraphrase of everything that happens in chapter 17. Word travels to Saul that David wants to fight the giant. And Saul's reaction is much like the others. You're just a boy shepherd. Are you kidding me? But David doesn't back down. You see, as a shepherd, he defended his father's sheep before a lion and a bear. And he goes to the king and he says, Saul, you don't understand. The Lord is with me. When there was a lion came into the camp to destroy the sheep, I grabbed them by the beard. What does that mean? I grabbed them by their throat and I choked them to death. When a bear came in to destroy my father's sheep, the power of the Lord came upon me and I grabbed them and I killed them. I will surely do the same with this Philistine. The Lord will deliver him into my hand today. There is, there is, we hear, we, we see, this is profiles and courage. We see the courage of David, not because of David, but because of the power of God residing in David. Amen. We don't see profiles, we don't see the profile and courage because David's just a cool dude that's a good looking, ready kid that can kind of scrap with people. No, it's not about that. It's about the power of God is upon him because he has anointed him. Amen. When the power, when you will start to do things under the power and anointing of God that you can't do naturally. And it will destroy Philistines in your life. It will destroy giants in your life. It will push away evil in your life. The Lord delivered the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul hears enough. He says, all right, David, go. But if you're going to go, don't go empty-handed. So he gives him his armor. Verse 38 says that Saul clothed David in his own armor. What this means is that Saul had the armor to go and fight the giant. But he didn't have the courage or the anointing to do it. He gave it to David. Here's my armor. <laughs> the armor was heavy. 
and cumbersome. David couldn't even function with it. He said it hasn't even been tested. So he took it off. He walked over to a brook and he stooped down to pick up some stones. He picks up five stones. Specifically five stones. And there's speculation as to why five stones, but it wasn't because he needed five chances. In fact, most theologians will surmise that one was for Goliath and Goliath had four brothers. So just in case they showed up, he was ready to go to battle. He put the stones in a shepherd's bag. He walks out beyond the armies of Israel to this Philistine who has challenged the armies of the Lord. He walks out and what happens next is historic. Go ahead and play the video. description is powerful. The only difference between the video and what actually happened is that the force of the stone was so much that it sunk into his forehead. It wasn't the force of the throw. It was the force of the power of God behind the stone. It's, it was so powerful. It didn't bounce off his skull. It sunk into his head. 1 Samuel 17, verse 50 says this, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine. He took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him, cutting his head off with it. God didn't play around. This guy who went against the armies of the Lord suffered the wrath of God. David takes the head of Goliath. We start to move into chapter 18 now. He takes the head of Goliath into Jerusalem, and he, it says he travels with it to Israel. After the battle in Philistine, he travels to Israel, and the streets are filled with women who are dancing and singing, and they're saying these words, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. You can imagine at this point, David's favor leaves Saul. It's at this chapter in 1 Samuel 18, we see his favor leave David. Saul starts to see his kingdom leaving his hand slowly but surely. In fact, the Bible says that even the next day he tries to kill David, not once, but twice. See, it wasn't just that David was a bold warrior. His courage came from following hard after the presence of God. 
Saul saw it, and he hated him for it. He was just a shepherd, but his heart was after God's own, and the Lord raised him up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that I would be a person, that we would be a people, that we would be a church that would be known for being one after your own heart. That we would desire the things that God desires for us, that that we would be encouraged by the courage and faith of David. Lord, I pray that you would give us that same faith, that you would give us that same giant-killing faith to destroy the giants that come to take over our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us that same faith, that same courage, that you would anoint us in the same way, that we would get angry at the giants that go against the servant of the living God. That we would get angry at the distractions that try to take us away from the goal that he has given us. That we would go and violently oppose the enemy. David wasn't playing around. He didn't have to play around. He knew who was standing behind him. He knew the power of God within him. He knew that the enemy could not face him. And so he destroyed him. From the lineage of David, we are given a Savior, Christ Jesus. We thank you for your Savior. Lord, we thank you that you have sent Christ down. Lord, to forgive us of our sins. To be crucified on a cross. Lord, we thank you that three days later, you did not stay in the grave, but you were raised from the dead. We worship a living God this morning. We worship he who is living and mighty and powerful. We glorify you and lift you up in this place. Lord, we thank you for all it is you do for us. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray over each person here. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.